Maybe we'll get to see Charles sing that ourselves someday. I can just picture the old hymn writer, I mean, just filled with joy in the Lord as he wrote that hymn. Delight in what the Savior has done. Almost mocking all of these things that we fear, death and the grave. Couldn't hold our Savior down, brethren. Couldn't hold him down. Couldn't keep him in. He rose victorious according to his word and power and glory for the salvation of his people. What a Savior we have. I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew 28, or you can just listen as I read verses 1 through 10. Matthew 28. So at this point in the narrative, Jesus has died. He has been interred and buried in the tomb. We saw that in the previous hour. Those of you who were in adult Sunday school class, these ministering women who were there as they watched Joseph and Nicodemus place him in the tomb, what that must have been like, their witness to where he was placed. And now we read in... Matthew 28, 1, these things. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there... They will see me. Let's pray again as we open up God's word together. Lord, we pray for grace and for the Spirit's presence to help us teach and preach and hear these things with with spiritual ears and spiritual eyes to see these things for what they are in all of their glory. May you come down and warm our souls and bring us joy again in the Lord. Revive us, Lord, as you're reviving the earth with spring. We pray more than that. You would revive our souls to spiritual joy, to spiritual interest and renewed vigor and zeal for your kingdom and for your glory. And to preach these wonderful things we're reading about. These things which will bring life to dead sinners and eternal salvation to those destined to hell. Oh, Father, we pray you would get us excited again about the things of Christ. And we pray for those who don't know you, who have never known what excitement 
for Christ and in Christ even is, that today would be the day of spiritual life and them being born again in Christ. All to your praise, Lord, to your glory, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to talk about the foundational witness of these women to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And women had a major role as witnesses to the events of Christ's life, to the things that he preached. And and even interestingly, their witness was, was incredibly foundational to the crucifixion of Christ. They were there, these ministering women, to the interment and burial of Christ. And now as we're reading, the third day after His interment and His death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were the first preachers of this message that He is raised, entrusted with this message from the angels An angel who was there. He entrusted that blessed, joyful message to these women who knew Christ. To go and tell his disciples that he is raised and he would meet them in Galilee. As one article I I read from the internet said, Christianity is the best thing that ever happened. To women. It's one of the major, the most major forces for good in this fallen world for women and for the female gender. I just quote quickly from the article before we get into the subject. All three of the Synoptic Gospels, this writer says, note that women follow Jesus a highly unusual phenomenon first century Palestine. This behavior may not seem unusual today, but in Jesus' day it was highly unusual. Scholars note that in the prevailing culture only prostitutes and women of low repute would follow a man without a male escort. These women were not groupies. Some of them provided financial support for Jesus and the apostles. And we read of that all throughout the gospel accounts. One place is Luke 8, 3. The first people Jesus chose to appear to after his resurrection were women. Not only that, but he instructed them to tell his disciples that he was alive. In a culture where a woman's testimony was worthless because she was worthless, Jesus elevated the value of women beyond anything the world had seen. Here is God's wisdom. It's another thing that adds to the credibility of the witness of the gospel witness. Because men would not have chosen women to be testimonies to these things. Men would have chosen men. God chose women to confound the foolishness of men. The wisdom of God is amazing. As we read of these gospel things, we should never forget that. Let's look to the foundational witness of these women. Remember the identity of them. I'm not going to go through all of them as I did in the previous hour. But remember the identity of these courageous ladies. 
Matthew tells us, along with the other writers, that the same women who ministered to Jesus all throughout his earthly ministry were present at his resurrection, at his interment, and at his tomb the morning Jesus rose from the dead. They knew, these women, what the living Jesus was like when alive. They knew his voice, the way he looked physically, and more importantly, they knew Jesus, what his character was like, his disposition. Mary Magdalene was at one time in her life possessed by seven demons. And it was Jesus who cast them out. And make no mistake from that day forward, she studied Christ. She followed Christ. She was devoted to Christ. They had a love for the Lord Jesus. He had done them good. He had saved them. He had delivered them in amazing ways. While it was not the apostles who first witnessed the empty tomb, these women were qualified and credible witnesses. If anyone could validate the resurrection in addition to Christ's apostles, it was them. They saw him alive for years, saw him physically die on the cross, watched as he was taken down, wrapped in linen cloth, with the spices by Nicodemus and Joseph, followed these men to the tomb where they and were there when the dead body of Jesus was carefully laid down in the tomb. They knew where in the tomb he was laid and how he was laid. All of these details come to us through their testimony, through their witness. Matthew tells us early on, first day of the week, they went back to the tomb of Jesus with more spices to perhaps either finish the job the men did in a hurry on Friday or simply pay their respects, we don't know, by anointing the body with more spices. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, most likely Mary the mother of James and Joseph, there are a lot of Marys in the New Testament, are pointed out by Matthew here specifically. They're identified. The other writers speak of Salome, Joanna, and the other women who ministered to Jesus we're also accompanying them. Let's consider, secondly, the foundational facts they witnessed after, again, quickly identifying this group of godly women who followed and loved Christ. The foundational facts they witnessed. They went to the tomb of Jesus, we read, early on the first day of the week, early Sunday morning, the day after the Sabbath. And Matthew was careful in his account to point out the timing of their visit to the tomb. The first day of the week, according to Jewish timekeeping, was exactly the third day after Jesus was crucified that previous Friday. Why is it important to point out that their visit was the third day after Jesus was crucified? Because Jesus said to them and to his disciples that on the third day he would be raised. And Matthew was very careful to report the historical fact that it was on the third day, the same day Jesus prophesied and said he would be raised, that they were there early in the day on the first day of the week. Not only did Jesus predict his resurrection 
but the exact timing of his resurrection. Three days. He told this to his enemies. It was the sign Jesus gave them to validate he was all he said he was. That everything he preached about himself was true, could be believed, should be believed, and should not be doubted. In places like John 2.19, he answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The timing of his resurrection is testified to us. Validation of all that Jesus said. Who can foretell their death? Or the way they will die? Or the amount of days they will lie dead in the grave? Or that they will be resurrected? And the exact day they will be resurrected upon? We know that if we die in Christ before He comes, that when He comes, we'll be resurrected. Right? But of that day and hour, no man knows. Jesus knows the exact timing He'll be in the tomb, the exact time frame post-death. He will raise Himself back up again. Now that is a sign... That if it, if it happens, should drive away all doubt that Jesus was who he said he was. That Jesus can be believed. That Jesus can be trusted. Greater miracle than any miracle he did. Giving eyes to blind people, legs to lame people. Predicting his death, how he will die, how many days he'll be in the tomb, the very day he'll be raised, and by the way, I'm going to raise myself up. Who is this Jesus? Who is this person that could predict such things? And Matthew is careful. He's careful to make sure we understand the day these women experience these things. It was early. On the first day of the week. Sends chills down my spine, brethren. Does it yours? The first day of the week. These women come. And they see an angel sitting on the same stone. They knew sealed the tomb of Jesus. They remembered the stone. As they, as they traveled to the tomb that morning. Mark tells us in chapter 16, 3 and following. And they were saying among themselves, these women, Who shall roll away the stone from the door of the tomb? And looking up, they see that the stone is rolled back. For it was exceeding great. They remembered how big it was. And how unable they would be to move it. Joseph, perhaps with Nicodemus and others, were able to roll the stone in front. And the women observed that. And and they probably saw these guys like sweating to do it. And the energy it took them to do it. And they're looking around. And they just don't have the muscle. So here they are. they're, They're headed to the tomb to anoint the body. And they don't know how they're going to get in. And there's something sweet about their faith here. 
like brethren, sometimes we just have to believe and not calculate. There, there's something to be said for this here. Figuring all the ways why Jesus wants us to do what he wants us to do. Figuring out how exactly we're going to do it. We need a method. We need a process. Sometimes, like these women, we just got to go and do it. Trust that God's going to provide. Are they imprudent? I don't know. Maybe you could call them that. They're not, they're not very, they don't have a lot of forethought. They're getting up early. Maybe they could have slept in until they figured it out. They don't know how they're going to roll the stone away. What amazes me as you read the account is they had more to contend with than a stone, didn't they? What else was there at the tomb of Jesus? An angel. Terrific in appearance, we read in the account. Like lightning. His appearance was like lightning. A terrifying angel was not only at the tomb, but sitting upon the stone. An angel that struck fear into the hearts of the guards who were there. Terrified. Frightened at the appearance of the angel. It's not the focus of our sermon today. Maybe another sermon, but this is an amazing thing. The angel terrifying to the guards. So kind and gentle to these women. Something of the disposition and character and love that God has for his people. Angels aren't sent to terrify the saints. But they will certainly terrify unbelievers. They will certainly terrify anyone not right with their God and with their master. And those outside of Christ have every reason to fear these angelic beings. So not just the angels are there, but there's guards. Did they know there would be guards? I don't know. Maybe they didn't realize. There were problems there at the tomb they hadn't even thought about. And yet God took care of all those things. Big Roman soldiers are made to feel as little toddlers in the presence of the angelic messenger and attendant of Almighty God. But oh, how gentle and how sweet he speaks to these faith-filled, ministering women. And they saw it, and they experienced it. I just placed myself there. I just wonder what that experience must have been like. You go for one reason, to minister to Christ, continuing to serve Him and express your love for Him and devotion to Him in death. And you find the very opposite. The dead Savior is now alive. He's not there. He's raised. Awesome. I love the scriptures. So here he is. He, he rolls it away from, for them. Amazing count. These women felt the fear men feel initially in the presence of angels. His appearance like lightning and his clothing white as snow and for fear of him the guards trembled and became like dead men. 
The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. I wonder if this is what our experience will be like if we're alive when Jesus comes back. I don't know about you, but when, when the, the day of the Lord is described in Scripture, it is cosmic, it is really huge, it's worldwide, it's an event every human being living in that day will witness, will observe, His coming will be completely observable and unmistakable, like the lightning shining from the east to the west. The clouds rolled back like a scroll. The Son of Man coming on the clouds of glory with power and with myriads of angels. Brethren, I dare say, we will be terrified, (laughs) saint or sinner, until we hear the voice of Christ. Be not afraid. Will you hear that from Jesus on the day he comes back? Or will you have reason to be afraid like these guards did? He didn't say to them, be not afraid. They were one heartbeat away from death. That's how afraid they were. They were literally shocked to the core and soul of their being about to die at the sight. He doesn't say, hey, it's all good. Chill out. Oh, no. He leaves them. In his presence as dead men. What about the appearance of the Lord? Like, this is going to happen. Christ is going to come back. Those who are dead in Christ are going to be raised because he was raised on that day. If we're alive when he comes back, we're going to be changed. We're going to be made immortal. We're going to be made imperishable. We're never going to die. We're going to be changed from corruptible to incorruptible. And we're going to put on glory in Christ. It's going to be amazing. And the dead in Christ will be raised first. Those who had to endure that experience will be, have the blessed privilege and experience of being raised and resurrected like Jesus was. And only because He was. First, and we'll meet him in the air. Will you still be shaken in your boots on the ground while you see the saints ascending to meet the Lord in the air and then join him as he continues to descend to this planet to judge every living thing? What will that day be like for you? You see, the first day, you know, we all get pastel and Eastery and joyfully, and the whole world kind of smiles on Easter. But it was a terrifying day for some. These guys were guarding the tomb. They never anticipated they had to guard Jesus from getting out. Are you kidding me? Fierce Roman soldiers are nothing to the resurrected Christ. Are nothing to one of Christ's messengers created an angel. Foolishness of man. But are you ready? Is the resurrection of Jesus something you take joy in? I hope it is. I trust it is for most of you. But maybe there's some here 
who have a false joy, a sentimental joy connected to Jesus and Easter. And, you know, it's connected to spring. And we don't really like winter in the Northeast, but we really love spring and summer. And it's fresh and it's new and it's life. And, and yeah, oh yeah, that's the season I go to church. And this is the happy one. But is it going to be that way? I hope, I hope you'll hear these things this morning. And, and if that's you right now, you'll have a change of heart. God will change you. He'll, you'll repent and really believe in Christ. Believe in the person of Christ. Believe that He died for your sins. That He was raised so that you might have life in Him. Real life. Deep, spiritual, inward life that's given now. That's a blessing now. In this life and in the life to come. That's what life is all about. It's about being born again in Christ. Being raised to walk in newness of life. United to the resurrected living Lord Jesus. Puts a smile on our souls. And that comes forth upon our faces as His people. Be not afraid. These women were invited into the tomb to see the place where Jesus' body lay. He's not here. He's risen. I want you to see it for yourself. Come and see where he lay. The angel's blown away, people. You know when you see something really cool and you're like, immediately you've got to share it with somebody, Right? And, you know, we all have iPhones and droids or whatever we carry, so it's easy, you know. But even those pictures, when you go to show it to your friend or whatever, the picture, with all of our technological advances, still cannot duplicate what these eyes are able to behold. God's cameras, God's design trumps anything, anything. Man can create. But the point being is, you want to share it. Right? That's what the angel's like right now. He's like, I can't even believe this. I can't believe this. Come and see this. Look, there he was. You see the linen clothes. You see the, the face cloth. The angel's delighted and filled with joy. That's, at least that's how I imagine it, as he's telling these ladies who loved him. He's not here, look. You saw where he was laid. You can appreciate how he was laid, where he was laid, where his head was in comparison to his feet. Look, head, feet, body, arms, gone. Remember, they were the ladies who saw exactly where he was laid, but he's not there. How did the disciples know to believe the testimony of these women? This is another very interesting thing about this account. Because they were given a secret message to bring to the disciples. Really? They got a secret message? Yes, they did. They got a secret message that only the disciples would understand. Not even they would understand it. It's like you being given a key, but you don't know what door it's going to unlock. But you know it's the key. And, and, and the angel gives them this little secret message. Go quickly. Tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. 
And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. The eleven disciples were the only other ones who knew of this message. Jesus promised not only the day he would be raised, but the very place they would see him raised from the dead. And where was that place? It was Galilee. It was Galilee. Matthew 26, 32. After I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. This is what he promised them. This is the message they brought to Peter and the others. A message only the eleven heard from Jesus himself. A message that the only way these women could have known about it was if an angel or Jesus himself told them. And it was a testimony to the apostles that what these women saw was the truth. You see how this all works together? How it all fits together to encourage us in our faith? That our faith is not in fairy tales, myths, and fables. It's in a real living Savior who did live. Who did do all the things we read of in this book. Testified to by hundreds of witnesses. Some of them, those who experienced his miraculous powers like Lazarus being raised from the dead. Who saw him die. Who saw him buried. Who saw the empty tomb. These things happen. Blessed are those who believe them. Who haven't seen them with their own eyes. And then thirdly, the foundational experience of meeting the resurrected Jesus. We read, they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. Incredible day it was. Incredible day. Amazing day. A day certainly that should not be celebrated or relegated to one in 365. A day we should think about daily. At least weekly. When we gather on what day? The resurrection day. The first day of the week. We don't need a thousand page book to explain why the Sabbath has gone from seven to one. You just read why. A cosmic day of glorious significance that certainly ushered in a rest and a joy and life to God's people they had never known before. Never known before. The work of salvation accomplished. And it's now being applied. And it's flooding into the souls of these first century saints. And they're filled with awe and worship and joy and fear and delight and glory and wonder at their Savior. All the things, Lord, help us to have them again in our souls as we think of them 
as we think of Jesus. They saw Jesus. They heard the words of Jesus. They touched Jesus. They enjoyed the living presence of Jesus. They worshiped Jesus. All of this happens in the account we just read of sight, ear, touch, and intimate knowledge of his person, of what he was like. This was no imposter. This was not a lookalike Jesus. His mannerism, his voice, his character. Nobody was duplicating this. It was really him. The person of Christ that they followed, that they fed, that they housed, that they worshipped, that they witnessed in life, is now, though dead, alive. All of their senses and their knowledge, intimate knowledge of Christ, served to prove to them it was really Him. And then the secret message was a confirmation to His disciples, the eleven, that He really was raised. Because what He said to us, He shared through an angel or himself, with these ladies. So as we think of the witness and resurrection, or the witness of these women to the resurrection of Jesus, the witness is to be trusted and believed. I hope this just isn't a story you tolerate once a year, because it's what you do in America. It's what you did when you were a kid. Like this really happened. And it has significance for you. One of the things it means is that everything Jesus said when He was here on earth is 100% true and to be believed and to be obeyed. When He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but by Me, like that's true. In other words, you can't get right with God You cannot go to heaven when you die. It will not be good for you when I return if you don't believe in me now as your individual personal Savior. What I did on earth was for sinners. And you are all sinners who fall short of the glory of God. And I've come to seek you. I've come to save you. Yes, for some of you this is hard to hear this morning. You need to be saved. Saved from what? I'm a good person. The Bible says different. All have sinned, the Bible said, and fall short of the glory of God. You may be better than other people in the world, but you have fallen short of God's standard and of God's word. You do not love God perfectly with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You don't. And you don't love your neighbor perfectly as yourself either. If we're honest, we don't even love our kids like that. We don't even love the people we love most like that, let alone our neighbor, let alone your enemy. We fall short. We don't live up to God's standard. Stop thinking you can. Stop thinking you have. You never can do it. And listen to me. That's a great burden that God lifts from your soul and conscience this morning. He doesn't expect you to live perfectly to be right with Him. He doesn't expect you to attain some level of religiosity and religion. And if as long as you go to church once a year, you're going to be good. And as long as you do what the church says and be good, you'll get there. He doesn't expect you to do any of that. He expects you to realize you can never please Him. 
to humble yourself and to cry out to him, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Save me from my sins, Lord Jesus. And the person who does that for you, the only person who can do it, is Christ. You say, why? Because when he died on the cross, it wasn't just a tragedy, like a Greek tragedy, something that shouldn't happen that happened. It was planned and designed. He died on the cross in the place of sinners to bear the punishment in your place that your sins deserve. And how do we know it was successful, that he actually accomplished that? He was raised the third day. He was raised. That means everything he did by way of accomplishing our salvation, living a perfect life, dying an atoning death, was successful. That God the Father approved of it. That death couldn't hold him there because he never sinned. If you don't sin, you don't die. How is it that Jesus died? He gave up his own spirit. That's the only explanation. When it was finished, he said, Father, into thy hands, I commit my spirit. He wouldn't have died if he hadn't given up the ghost. Because even in death, he perfectly obeyed and didn't complain. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing, brethren? That's amazing. And he did it for sinners. But here's the catch. You've got to admit you're a sinner. And leave your salvation completely dependent upon Jesus and Jesus alone. And he will save you. And you'll be right with God. And you'll be united to him in his death, which means that death he died for you. What does that mean? I don't have to fear hell. I don't have to fear going to hell because Jesus already went there for me. What else does it mean? He was raised from the dead. You can have spiritual life in Christ. You were given physical life when born into this world, but not spiritual life. You get that by being born again. Oh, you're a bunch of born again Christians. There's only one kind. Christians who say they're Christians but aren't born again are not Christians. Jesus said to the Jews, you must be born again. How does that happen? We die united to Christ in his death, and we're also united to his resurrection to walk in newness of life. And that whole process of conversion that takes place the moment you believe is the most miraculous thing that happens in the world, the most miraculous thing you'll ever experience, see or behold. It's what God does to a sinner when he saves him or her by grace. We have spiritual life connected to Jesus. We have joy unspeakable and full of glory. We have eternal life possessed in our souls. We're blessed now. A hundredfold more than whatever the world could offer and in the world to come. Man, this is what Easter's about. This is what it's about. It's about what Resurrection Day is about. He was successful in accomplishing redemption. It can now be applied. And how is it applied to you? By your individual repentance from sin and faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. And this will happen 
on the testimony, yes, of the apostles and apostolic witness, confirming the witness of these women who saw the empty tomb, and, and John and Peter, as we read too. The women were used by God to establish the foundational facts of the gospel. Reveal this gospel to be divine and trustworthy. And we've alluded to this already. Why do I say that? Because depending on women for such important information and facts was not something a first century man would do. It's just not. They would have never done it. Then it makes it more believable. Women and the words of women were not valued in the first century by men. But it doesn't matter how men valued their testimony. God placed value upon their faith and courage and witness. And he used them as the first preachers of the gospel. Now, this doesn't mean these foolish posts that I saw running around on Facebook. Women were the first preachers of the resurrection. Therefore, they should preach in church. That is an infantile way of thinking. Completely misses the point. Completely misses the point. But they certainly were given a great privilege, weren't they? An extraordinary privilege for extraordinary faith and courage. He is risen. He is risen. And they never stop preaching it all day long. What an encouragement. What an encouragement. That God values the faith, service, and love of all his people. No matter what your race, no matter what your gender, no matter your age. You know, children, your service of Jesus is noticed by Jesus. He loves your service just as he loves the service of your parents. Christianity is about you following Christ as a child, not waiting till you get older and taking delight in the fact that though your obedience is imperfect, as is the obedience of your parents, God the Father in Christ accepts it and smiles at it. No matter how old, no matter how young, you have value in the kingdom and you're noticed of God. And we have the ultimate vindication of Jesus' words in places like John 11. The account where he raises Lazarus from the dead. And he speaks of who he is, of his identity, and of what we are to believe about him. Martha says, I know that he will rise again, my dead brother Lazarus, she's referring to, in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time given. And I do pray that all of us, no matter how we came in, believing or unbelieving, would leave here this morning, this afternoon, believing.
believing in the same Christ who came and lived and preached and died on the cross for sinners and was raised the third day. We thank you for the testimony of these courageous, faith-filled, love-filled women. And we pray that all of us would not reject it, but would believe it. Would believe in the one they're pointing to believe in. Would believe in this Jesus. Would not be unbelieving. Would possess this life he speaks about, both now and in eternity. Something that death cannot even steal from us. This life that he gives to his people, united to him by faith. Pray that we would all know fuller measures of it, Lord. Please continue to bless us with joy in him today. We pray in his name. Amen.